just thank you so much that you are faithful, that we can trust in your faithfulness, even when we're not. And God, we just pray for this sermon. We pray for Joey, that you would bless um, all the words of his mouth, God, that you would bless us to receive and that we would, yeah, see these things come about in our lives, God, that we would be changed by your spirit each day. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to finish chapter 2 of Titus. We've been in Titus the last several weeks. We're going to finish up the last few verses of Titus today. So as you have all been seated, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to read these last few verses starting in verse 11. This is Titus chapter 2. Starting in verse 11, it'll be, uh, yeah, it's all printed up there. We're going to read this together. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we listen to these words again from long ago, we know that your Spirit can make these things come alive to our hearts and our minds, and we desperately need for you to do that. We need to know the source of grace, and we need to know what grace is, not only for ourselves, but for the world around us. So, Lord, wherever we may be in life, we ask that you would meet us where we are, that you would show us Show us Jesus, for we ask this in his name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So we've been talking the last few weeks about communities of grace feed on healthy doctrine. This was our big I, this is our big idea, and we've, we've looked at this in several different ways. We said Paul says this requires that we stand against what is unhealthy, but then we also teach what is, hel- what is healthy. So what is it that we teach? Well, we said we need to talk about the character of grace, the need for grace, and then the source of grace. So we did all of the first two right there, the character of grace and the need for grace the last couple of weeks. Today is this source of grace. What is this source of grace? How are, we suppo- how are we supposed to understand this? So practices, this is a, a Christian worldview, a, a gospel perspective. Practices flow out of our belief system. This is just a real life thing. You live the way you live because you believe the things that you believe. And there's this terminology of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So orthopraxy is the, the practice of rightness. Orthodoxy, orthodoxy is the belief of what is right and true. So here we need to look at what is this, we're looking at what is the orthodoxy. What Paul describes here is the heart of the letter, these verses that we just read. But I would say it's also the heart of the Bible. It's the heart of the Christian faith. It is the source of grace. The source of grace. What is this? So, I have two questions. What is it? And then what does it do? So, the essence of grace 
and then the effects of grace. Those are the two questions that we're going to be looking at that I think is coming up on the slide next. Yes. The source of grace. What is it? What is this grace? So you look at the, you look at the text, first part of verse 11, and we see this. We see in ver- the first part of verse 11, the first few verses, where does this grace come from? If you're looking at it, it says it is of who? Yes. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to keep it open. I know it's not on the screen anymore. It's of God. So this grace is of God. It's from Him. It's with Him. So whatever it is that we're talking about with grace, it's of Him. And then what is grace exactly? So the word is, uh, is charis. It's a common uh, Greek word that means gift or it means favor. So it's something good that has been given. So s- someone who maybe knows, let's say, that you've been going through a tough time, and financially you've been going through a tough time. So they find out where you sent your rent check in or your mortgage check, and they write the next three months' worth of mortgage or your rent. You would probably say a lot of things about that person, but one thing you would say besides thank you is, that was gracious. That is a a gracious thing for someone to do, right? It's an unexpected, so very often, so, so often grace is an unexpected favorable gift that's not a payment, nor is it a bribe. In other words, you, you didn't get the, the, the three months worth of rent paid for because you did something. It was just given to you. Nor did someone do that, hopefully, because they want you to do something. Right? It's, it's just a gift. So with this, something has to show up. He says it's also an appearing. And the appearing, so it's of God, yes, it's a gift, but there's also an appearing. And this has a couple of different aspects. The appearing is, first, it's an enlightenment. When we think about something that appears, it's something that is enlightening. It gives to us illumination. An appearing does that to us. So this is used in other parts of the Bible. There's a place where the dad of John the Baptist, Zechariah, he has this vision and he prophesies and he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he goes on and he says, To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadows of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That word for gives light is the same word for appearing. It's this illumination. It's giving light. So that's one part of appearing. It's a giving of light. It's an enlightenment. But the reason for this is that the appearing is also a presence. Grace within Christianity is an actual presence that has appeared. There's other places. There's a, there's a place where the Apostle Paul, he's going to Rome, he's been arrested, and he's about to be shipwrecked. And, it's, and he's, it says this in this section. This is in Acts 27. I'm just trying to show you where this word is used in some different ways. He sa- it says, Before the ship w- was wrecked in Malta, um, when neither sun nor stars had appeared for many days, there's the word appeared, is the same word that's being used in the Titus text. It's the actual presence of the sun and moon. So from their perspective, there was no presence of the sun and moon. Appearing is enlightenment, but appearing is also a presence. Presence of what for us? Well, what he says in verse 13, the appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself. It is an appearing of God coming to us in Jesus. 
right? That is an appearing that will come. He's, we're going to look at that in just a minute. That's an appearing that will come because an appearing that has come. He has appeared in history. He's appeared to act favor, favorably for us. This grace of God that has appeared is not just good feelings of favor or insight. It is, it is that, but it is that because it's more than that. It's more than just sentimental. It's a real presence showing up personally, tangibly, actively. Have you ever experienced somebody's presence that has brought enlightenment to you or enlivened your life? And I would assume that that's happened in some way, shape, or form. So, I have multiple illustrations of this. One is, uh, which one to do? Let's do this one. So, when I was, I have no idea, maybe three years old, five years old. I was young. I was really young. I can't remember if I told this story. I've told this story many times, so apologize if I've used this before. So, we were at the beach. We were at Garden City Beach, South Carolina, I do believe. Maybe Hunting, Hunting Island. One of the beaches in South Carolina. And I was out swimming by myself, doing the, the kid thing. And, you know, back then it was mom and dad said, you know, don't go above your knees or your waist or whatever. And, of course, I didn't, I didn't listen to them. So I go out a little bit farther, and all of a sudden the undertow gets me. And so remember, I'm whatever, three, five years old, and I get sucked out two miles into the ocean. Not really, but for a three-year-old, okay? I turn around, I turn around, and my, my parents are like this big in the ocean. And here's my thought, I'm dead. I'm going to drown and get eaten by a shark, my greatest fear, next to getting eaten by a snake. I'm going to die and I start going under. And then all of a sudden, these massive hands come and grab me out of the water, and they pull me back. And it's my daddy, right? That was a presence that brought great life to me. And it was a real presence. This is what grace is. It's this appearing of a presence that does bring life to you. It enlivens you. So what does this source of grace actually do? So what is Paul saying? Now, what is the effect? So that's, that's kind of the essence of it. What is the effect of it? Well, he talks about it bringing, training, and promising. It brings something. Verse 11, the, the grace of God has appeared bringing what? What does it say if you're looking at it? It brings what? Salvation. It says it brings salvation for all people. The salvation is brought to us. We don't bring something to God to get it. He's trying to make that super clear. This is something that he brings to us. Well, what is salvation? A lot of times we talk about salvation of your, your, your soul is saved, right? The salvation of our soul, which it can certainly mean that, but the soul, when the Bible uses soul, especially in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament part, it's the, it's the word nephesh in the Hebrew, okay? And it means, it, it means throat, which is a representation of your whole being. Your soul is your whole being. It's the whole you. It's not just the physical part of you. It's not just the unphysical part of you. It's not just the physical. It's the whole being. So what does salvation mean? Well, it's holistic. It's holistic rescue and restoration of our life that he says is starting now. As he goes on to describe, grace is what saves us for life now and forevermore. It's not our good works that save us. It's grace that saves us for good works. And we're going to talk more about that when we get into chapter 3, because he delves into that deeply in chapter 3. 
So how is this going to be worked out? Well, grace that brings salvation goes on, he says. It trains us, starting in 12, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age and to wait for the blessed hope. According to this, how are we to be trained? What is it that trains us? Um, guilt. That's training. That'll train you. If I can guilt you enough, I can train you. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. Um, how, about, how about shame? If I can just shame you. How dare you? Man, that'll, I don't know. That'll get you, that'll get a lot of people. That could, that could get me to act sometimes. How about fear? If you don't, if you don't do this, if you don't get up and run tomorrow, if you don't do your diet well, you're going to get fat and die at age 53, right? Fear, okay? I don't know. That's, how about, okay, let's think more positive, accountability. If I just put a good accountability structure around me, is that, a good, is that going to train me? Yep, I, yeah, it actually might. Good discipline. Good discipline will train you. All right. Can, can any of these things train you? Can they shape and form you? They have shaped and formed all of us, I would imagine. Yes, they can actually do it. But Paul says there is something unique about Jesus' community. We are trained by grace. Grace is what trains us. This would include us, yes, looking at Him, to learn from Him, absolutely. But there is something more active that He plays, a more active role that He plays than just showing up and saying, follow me. Does Jesus come along and say, follow me? Yes, He does say, follow me. That is absolutely true. But this kind of training is more about Him working than us working. His training is Him doing something for us and doing something in us. This is what grace is about. If you ever marinate food, like chop up vegetables or, or, or meat, what do you do? You pound the meat, right? You, you stab it you tend, to tenderize it, right? You do all this stuff. It gets, gets beaten up. And then what do you do to marinate? You soak it in whatever it is that you want it to taste like when you're done. You soak it. This is marinating. It's tr- it's tr- what are you doing? You're training the food to taste like the marinade. And then when you feed it to someone, they get to taste the marinade. It comes out. It's been trained. Grace-marinated hearts express the flavor of the marinade as we live life. But you have to be marinated. This is how it happens. So what is this grace training us to do? What are we being marinated to actually do? He says to renounce, to live, and to wait. Grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The word for, now, for, for renounce is to deny something or to disdain it, to have, have a, a dislike for. It's a, it's a retra- what is this? It's a retraining of our appetites that oppose God. Like it says, appetites that oppose God, it's, it's retraining those. Or our passions that are empty. The old appetites and the unhealthy passions, they start, when you're marinating in grace, they start losing their, their flavor you might even say they start to become distasteful. They even like, the cigarette doesn't taste as good anymore. Like I've heard, I, I've never been really a smoker, but I've heard people that finish smoking, like in smoking, and they go back to it and it's nasty. 
I've also heard others say they went back to it and it was wonderful. So let's just stay with the negative side of that, right? Yeah, it starts to lose its taste. It's distasteful. And as that happens, we are trained to turn away from the unhealth and to renounce that unhealth. And then it says to live, to live as a result of God's favor. This stirs up a new kind of appetite for us that results in what he says, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. All these characteristics that he talked about, we looked at in verses 1 through 11, those things start to become like appealing to us. They they start to have a a different taste for us, a a different desire for us. How? By grace training us. How do we start? How does that happen? Fear, scare it into people. Pure discipline. No, he says grace does it to us. So here's my question for, for us. What are you looking to to train you? What are you looking to to train the people around you? Are we looking to primarily rules or self-discipline? Are we looking primarily even to accountability? And I'm not, none of those are bad things. I'm not saying those are, those are bad things. But let's don't confuse them with grace. The motivation and the power to renounce and to live healthy, to live for God, to live like God, comes by knowing and trusting and saturating in God's favor for you. And this is not just for a future day in heaven or in the resurrection. It's for what, what does he say? He says it's for the now day, for, for the present, it's for the present day. And then he goes on to talk to, uh, to talk of, in verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. Grace trains us to renounce, to live, but it also trains us to wait. To, to wait, wait for what? Well, this is where we get into the last big point here. This is answered with Paul's descriptions of this last effect of grace, right? That the, the effect of grace, the source of grace brings about salvation. Yes, it trains us, but finally it promises a hope to us. It promises a hope. This comes from verse 13 where he says, waiting, he's waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, all kinds of lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The promised hope that he's giving, this promised hope is about glory in his coming and glory in his giving. This hope that's being promised is about a glory. It's a glory of His coming and a glory in His giving. The, the blessed hope is something we are to wait on because it's promised at the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a promised thing. Why, why would the appearing of Jesus, and this is about a future day primarily, why is the appearing of Jesus supposed to be a hope to anybody? What, what hope would that bring to us? Well, I would say if, if he and his goodness is a good thing to you, it's going to be realized on a final day. There's something to hope for with that. Because this, the good news to us, right, if, if, we, if we see his glory as a desire of our own, like even though we don't see it manifest like we want today, we have the promised hope that it's going to be fully manifest on a future day. 
that can help in our today because it's not, it's not the dominant way of today, right? The way of Jesus, the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus is not the dominant theme of the way of the world. So to know that as we're living that out in today, that it's going to be fully realized on a future day, there's hope for us. It's maybe, it's not meaningless. We're waiting for this fullness to arrive. So then, as we look at this, this is all, this is all part of healthy doctrine. Like, this is all under that big umbrella. What is healthy doctrine? This is part of healthy doctrine. And he goes on and he says, the glory is not just for the future coming, but it's a past giving. He who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The source of grace is this. He gave himself for you. I mean, in some ways, if you want to summarize it, the, the source of grace is he gives himself for us. Jesus gave himself. He gave his life to do what? To redeem and to purify us. What does that mean, to redeem us from what? Well, our disconnection from the one who made us. He came to bring about a, a, a correction to our alienation. And then our impurity, all the ways that we've not lived out God's characteristics, how we've not even lived thankfully for the good that he's given to us, right? I mean, do you ever feel dirty? <laughs> Jesus came to do something about that. And rather than embracing and submitting to his love that he has for us, we've often turned away to find love from other things. What are the other things that we've looked to that we've hoped is going to give us love and satisfaction? He's come to do something about that, that has sent us on a path of unhealth and death. Like those things have not produced good in our lives. They've sent us on a path of death. Our desire to be freed from him or freed from his rule has ended up enslaving us to lesser things. You don't actually get un, you don't get free from a slave. I mean, what's Bob Dylan's thing? Everybody's got to serve somebody. You got to serve somebody. We just enslaved ourselves now to lesser things that don't care for us, certainly don't care for us like he does, that leads us into this life of emptiness or a sense of meaninglessness. You ever feel that? Why say all this? Because Jesus came to redeem us from all of that. He came to redeem us from the alienation and the impurity and our rejection and our unhealth and our slavery and our emptiness and to purify, to cleanse us, to heal us so that He can restore our identity. He can restore value. He can give us pur If you feel purposeless, this is what He comes to redeem us for, for purpose. As a people who are loved, to be zealous, He says, excited for a good works of love. He's come to save us for that. This is how He does it. It's not by writing, writing in the clouds, I love you. It's not even by sending you a letter that says, I love you. Like, those are wonderful things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But how does he do it? He, he loves by giving his life, eventually laying down his life. And he does that by suffering our hate. He doesn't do, he doesn't do it as we've loved him so well. He's like, okay, fine, I'll love you too. He loves you because... He loves you. 
And he loves in the face of our rejection and our hate so that he can win us by his love. He can win us by his sacrifice. This is the promised hope. This is grace. God so loved the world that he gave what he loved. Jesus so loved that he gave his life so that he could save our lives. This is a source of grace. This is the source of favor. It's purely, purely a gift to be received. You get to come and receive it. He's inviting you to receive it. Father, wherever we may be, some of us have tasted this grace before and we need to receive it again. I know, I know, I know in my own life I need to drink, I need to receive again. And maybe there's some here that have not. They never actually received this free gift that you offer in your Son, the source of grace. So, Lord Jesus, we ask that your Spirit would work in us and you would pour your grace on us and into us and transform us. We ask this all in your name. Amen.